Section four of the White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The White Wolf and Other Fireside Tales by Sir Arthur Thomas Quiller Couch. Section four sindbad on berater part two i strolled down the veranda to our quarters in search of aouja but the room was empty and after that i'm afraid i smoked and sulked for the rest of the day until nightfall after playing the haji hamid through his meal i went out to our favourite seat on the edge of the dry ditch when she came to me out of nowhere across the withered grass of the compound have you the charm o oh, beloved she whispered oh it's a charm is it said i partly sulky yet yes and you must never lose it never part with it never above all give it back to me promise me that beloved and i who have wept much am happy again so i promised and she snuggled close to me and all was as before no more was said between us, and by next morning she seemed to have clean forgotten the affair. But I thought of it at times, and it puzzled me. Now, as I said, my master had taken a fancy to me quite apart from the Barbadon, and a token of it was his constantly taking me out as companion on his walks. You may think it odd that he never troubled about my being an unbeliever, for of course he held by the prophet and so did all the islanders aouja included but in fact though his people called themselves mohammedans each man treated his religion much as he chose and hamid talked to me as freely as if i had been his son in this way i learned a deal of the island and its customs and of the terms by which hamid and hassan between them shared its rule but that any others laid claim to it i had no idea until one day as we were walking on the coast and not far from the crater where he had found me first my master asked suddenly was i happy quite happy i answered you would not leave us if you could he went on and began to laugh quiet like behind his beard oh love love i then am old have been merry in my day we walked for another mile maybe without speaking and came to the edge of a valley look down yonder said he below us and in the mouth of the valley which grew broad and shallow as it neared the sea i saw a hill topped by a round wall and compound there might have been half a dozen houses within the compound all thatched and above them stood up a flag painted in red and yellow stripes and so stiff in the breeze that with half an eye you could tell it was no bunting but a sheet of tin hello said i spaniards puff hamid grinned at the flag and spat a captain marquinas inhabits there with four manila men and their wives he is a sensible fellow and does no harm and if it pleases him to hoist that toy on a bamboo he is welcome they claim the island then what matters it if they claim there was a letter once came to us from the spanish governor in tolo 
that man was a fool he gave us warning that by order of the government at manila he would send a hundred men to build a fort inland and set up a garrison hassan and i took counsel together he is a fool said hassan but we must answer him so we answered him thus send your men to-day they come to-morrow they die yet trouble not we will bury them were they sent i asked they were not sent he was a fool yet within bounds nevertheless a time may come for us not for hassan and me we shall die in our beds but for our sons even for this we are prepared he would have said more but checked himself i learned later on that the islanders kept one of the craters fortified for emergency to make a last stand there but they never allowed me to see the place we have gods of our own said hamid slyly who will be helpful the more so that we do not bother them over trifles also there are other things and the lake singuan and another which you have not seen are full of crocodiles he stamped his foot my son beneath this spot there has been fire and still the men of kagayan walk warily and go not without their spears for you it is different yet when you come upon aught that puzzles you it were well to put no questions even to yourself not even about this i asked and showed him the purse and stone which Aouja had tossed to me you are in luck's way said he whoever gave you that he pulled a small pouch from his breast opened it and showed me a stone exactly like mine it is a coconut pearl keep it near to your hand and forget not to touch it if you hear noises in the air or a man meet you with eyes like razors i wanted to ask him more but he started to walk back hastily and when i caught him up would talk of nothing but the sugar and sweet potato crops and the yield of coconut oil to be carried to kudat at the next northeast monsoon i noticed that the fruit trees planted along the shore were old and that scores of them had ceased bearing they will last my day said he let my sons plant others if they so will he always spoke in this careless way of his children and i believe he had many for an islander keeps as many wives as he can afford but they lived about the villages and could not be told from the other inhabitants by any sign of rank or mark of favour he showed them for a long while i believed that Aouja must be a daughter of his she always denied it but owned that she had never known her mother and had lived in hamid's house ever since she could remember anyhow he took the greatest care of me and never allowed me to join the expeditions which sailed twice a year from the island to palawan for patty and to the north of borneo with oil and nuts and pandanus mats he may have mistrusted me but more likely he forbade it out of care for me and the music i played for the brahus regularly came back with three or four of their number missing either capsized on the voyage or blown away towards tawi tawi where the pirates accounted for them though i might not sail abroad he allowed me to join the tubering parties off the shore we would work along the reefs there in rafts of bamboo 
towing with us two or three dugouts filled with mashed tuber roots at the right spot the dugouts would be upset and after a while the fish came floating up on their sides or belly uppermost to be speared by us for the root puddles the water like milk and stupefies them somehow without hurting the flesh which in an hour or so is fit to eat we had been tubering one afternoon and put back with our baskets filled to a spit of the shore where we had left an old islander kotali by name alone and tending a fire for our meal coming near we saw him stretched on the sand by his cooking pots and shouted to wake him for his fire was low kotali did not stir i was one of the first to jump ashore and run to him he lay with his legs drawn up his hands clenched his eyes wide open and staring at us horribly the man was as dead as a nail i never saw people worse frightened the burbalangs said someone in a dreadful sort of whisper and we started to run back to the raft for our lives i with the rest for the panic had taken hold of me though i could see no sign of an enemy i suppose these burbalangs named with such awe to be pirates or marauders from tawi tawi or some neighbouring island and the first hint that reached me of anything worse was a wailing sound which grew as we ran and overhauled us until the air was filled with roaring so that i swung round to defend myself yet could see nothing to my surprise a man who had been running beside me dropped on the sand pulled a sigh of relief and began to mop his face and this in the very worst of the racket they are gone by he shouted the worse the noise the farther off they are they have taken their fill to-day on poor old Katali. suddenly the noise ceased altogether and we picked up courage to return and bury the body we had a basket of limes on the raft and these were fetched and the juice squeezed over the grave but no one seemed inclined to answer the questions i put about these burblangs it seemed that unless they were close at hand there was ill luck even in mentioning them and i walked back to the village in a good deal of perplexity i should tell you sir that by this time i was the father of a fine boy and that aoudja doted on him when she was not feeding him or calling on me to admire his perfections from the cleverness of his smile to the beautiful shape of his toes he lay and slept or kicked in a basket slung on a long bamboo fastened across the rafters aoudja would give the basket a pull and this set it bobbing up and down on the spring of the bamboo for minutes at a time now when i reached home with my string of fish i walked round to the back of the house to clean them before going in this took me past the window of our room and glancing inside the window was unglazed you understand i saw aoudja standing before the cradle and talking quick and angry with a man posted in the doorway opening on the veranda i was not jealous the thought never entered my head but i dropped my fish and whipped round to the doorway in time to catch him as he turned to go having heard my footstep belike who the something or other are you i asked and what's your business in my private house 
the man a yellow-faced figure but young in figure muttered something in a gibberish new to me and made as if excusing himself it gave me an ugly start to see that his eyes were yellow too with long slits for pupils but i saw too that he was afraid of me and being in a towering rage myself i out with my chris now look here i said i don't understand what you say but maybe you understand this walk and if i catch you here again you'll need someone to sew you up i watched him as he went across the compound the guard at the gate scarcely looked up and if the thing hadn't been impossible there in the broad daylight i could have fancied he saw no one i turned to aoudya and took her hands for she was trembling from head to foot at my touch she burst out sobbing clung to my shoulder and begged me to protect her why of course i will said i more cheerfully than i felt by a long sight if i'd known you were frightened like this i'd have slit his body to match his eyes but who is he at all he he said he was my brother she wailed and clung to me again i cannot i cannot oh brother him cried i but what is it he wants i cannot i cannot was all she would say and now her sobs were so loud that the child woke up screaming and had to be soothed and this seemed to do her good well i got her to bed and asleep early that night but before morning i had a worse fright than ever somehow in my dream i had a feeling come to me that the bed was empty and sat up suddenly half awake and scared aoudja had risen and was standing by the cradle with one hand on its edge in the other was the lamp a clam-shell fastened in a split handle of bamboo and holding a pithwick and a little oil the flame wavered against her eyes as she held it up and peered into the baby's face and her eyes were like as i had seen them once before and devilish like the eyes i had seen in another face that afternoon a man never knows what he can do till the call comes there betwixt sleep and waking i knew that happiness had come to an end for us yet i slipped out of bed very softly took the lamp from her as gentle as you please set it on a stool and turning reached out for her two wrists and held them for how long i can't tell you she didn't try to fend me away or struggle at all and not a word did i utter but stood holding her the babe asleep beside us and listened to her breathing until it grew easier and she leaned to me weak as water then i let go and lifting the child's head from the pillow pulled aoudja's charm the coconut pearl from my neck and hung it about his that's for you sonny said i and if the berberlangs come along you can pass them on to your father i faced round on aoudja with a smile which no doubt was thin enough though honestly meant to hearten her it's all right old girl come back to bed said i and held her in my arms until i fell asleep in the dawn 
but of course it was not all right and after two days spent with this dismal secret between us and aoudja all the while play-acting at her old tricks of love for me and the babe as if god knows i doubted they and not the horror were her real self i could stand it no longer but did what i ought to have done before sought out my master and made a clean breast of it i could see that it took the old man between wind and water when i had done he sat for some time pulling his beard and eyeing me once or twice rather queerly as i thought my friend said he at last i suppose you will be suspecting me yet i give you my word and the haji hamid is no liar that if aoudja is a berbalang or a daughter of berbalangs the same was unknown to me when i married you i'll believe that i answered the more by token that i never suspected you she had no known father which as you know is held a disgrace among us so much a disgrace that she grew up without suitors in spite of her looks and my favour therefore i seized my chance of giving her a husband and in that i am not guiltless toward you but of anything worse i was ignorant and for proof i am going to help you if i can he frowned to himself still tugging at his beard her mother was of good family on this side of the island therefore she cannot be pure berbalang and most likely the berbalangs have no more than a fetch upon her he used a word new to me but fetch i took to be the meaning of it if so we must go to them and persuade them to take it off they owe me something for though as we value peace and quiet hassan and i leave them alone in their own dirty village and ask no tax nor homage we could make things uncomfortable if we chose yes yes said he i think it can be done but it will be dangerous you are wearing your coconut pearl of course i told him that i had given it up to the baby he nodded yes that was well done but you must borrow it for the day run and fetch it at once we have a long walk before us so i ran back and without telling aoudja who was washing her linen behind the house slipped the pearl off the child's neck and returned to hamid i found him with two spears in his hand waiting for me he gave me one and forth we set the berbalang's village stands on a sort of table-land in the hills which rise all the way to mount tabulian near the centre of the island after the first two miles i found myself in strange country and hamid kept silence and signed me to do the same in this way we sweated up the slopes until a little afternoon we reached a pass and saw the roofs of the village over the edge of a broad steppe as it were half a mile above us here we sat down and hamid drawing a couple of limes from his pocket explained that i must on no account taste any food the berbalangs set before us unless i first sprinkled it with lime juice it might look like curried fish but would as likely as not be human flesh disguised the taste of which would destroy my soul and convert me into a berbalang a touch of the lime juice would turn such food back to its proper shape 
and show me what i was being asked to eat we now moved forward again very cautiously and soon came to the village the houses perhaps a dozen in all were scandalously dirty otherwise pretty much like those in hamid's own village but not a living creature could be seen hamid i could tell was puzzled and even a bit frightened he put a good face on it all the same and began to walk from house to house keeping his spear handy as he peered in at the doors still not a soul could we find barring an old goat tethered and a few roaming fowls the stink of the place sickened us and i wanted to run though we came across no actual horrors in one room we found a pan of rice lately boiled and still smoking and sprinkled it with lime juice it remained good rice out into the street we went and hamid growing bolder raised a loud halloo the noise of it sent the fowls scudding and the hills around took it up and echoed it he looked at me they must be out on the hunt said he good lord i gasped and the child at home without the pearl i turned and plunged for it down the slope like a madman what to do i had no idea but i hadn't a doubt that the berberlangs were after Aouja or the child or both and i headed for home with the wind singing by my ears at the foot of the pass i looked back hamid was following skipping from one lava stone to another at a pace that did credit to his old legs he waved a hand and called as i thought to encourage me and away down i pounded i must have reached the edge of the plain in twenty minutes the climb had taken us more than two hours and once there i squeezed my elbows into my sides and settled into stride luckily the season was dry and a fire three weeks before had swept over the tall lalang grass leaving a thin layer of ash which made running easy for all that i was pretty near dead beat when i reached the compound and ran past the sentry the man cried out at sight of me as i went by but i thought he was just pattering out his challenge being taken unawares and knowing he would not let off his musket if he recognized me i paid no attention i had prepared myself as i thought for anything to find Aouja dead beside the child or to find them both unharmed and flourishing as i had left them but what happened was that i burst in and stared around an empty room that knocked the wind out of my sails i called twice leaned my head against the door-post and panted called again and getting no answer walked stupidly back across the compound to the gate the sentry there was pointing i believe he was telling me too that Aouja, with the child in her arms had passed out some while before but as he waved a hand towards the plain i saw a figure running there and recognized hamid the old man was heading not towards us but for the seashore and plain as daylight he was heading there with a purpose i remembered now his cry to me from the head of the pass so i pressed elbows to side again and lit out after him he was making for a thick patch of jungle between us and the sea and though i had run at least a mile out of the way i soon began to overhaul him 
but long before i reached the clump he had found an opening in it and dived out of sight and i overtook him only when the growth thinned suddenly by the edge of a crater plunging down to a lake so exactly like sinquan that i had to look about me and take my bearings before making sure that this was another and one i had never yet seen i caught him by the arm and we peered down the slope together at the foot of it and by the edge of the lake there ran a strip of white beach and there and almost directly below us were gathered the berbelangs they were moving and pushing into place in a sort of circle around a small bundle which at first sight i took for a heap of clothes at that distance they seemed harmless enough and barring the strangeness of the spot might have been an ordinary party of islanders forming up for a dance but when all of a sudden the ring came to a standstill and a figure stepped out of it towards the bundle in the centre my wits came back to me and i flung up both arms shouting aucha aucha she must have made three paces in the time my voice took to reach her she was close to the child then she halted and stood for a moment gazing up at me i saw something bright drop from her and with that she stooped caught up the child and was racing up the slope towards us steady muttered hamid as a man broke from the circle plucked up the knife from the sand and rushed after her steady he said again aouja had a start of twenty yards or more and in the first half minute she actually managed to better it hamid beside me rubbed a bullet quickly on the rind of one of his lime fruits and rammed it home he took an eternal time about it and below now the man was gaining unluckily their courses brought them into line and twice the old man cursed softly and lowered his piece flesh and blood could not stand this i let out a groan and sprang down the cliff it was madness and at the third step all foothold slipped from under me but my clutch was tight on a fistful of creepers and their tendrils were tough as a ship's rope so down i went now touching earth now fending off from the rock with my feet now missing hold and sprawling into a mass of leaves and roots among which i clutched wildly and checked myself by the first thing handy until with a crack of hamid's musket above the vine or whatever it was to which i clung for the moment gave way as if shorn by the bullet and i pitched a full twenty feet with a rush of loose earth and dust i fell almost at the heels of aouja's enemy upon a ledge along which he was swiftly running her down hamid's bullet had missed him and before i could make the third in the chase he was forty yards ahead i saw his bare shoulders parting the creepers threading their way in and out like a bobbin and jogging as the pace fell slower for now we were all three in difficulties perhaps aouja had missed the track at any rate the ledge we were now following grew shallower as it curved over the corner of the beach and ran sheer over the water of the lake a jungle tree leaned out there with a clear drop of a hundred feet 
as i closed on my man he swerved and began to clamber out along the trunk and over his shoulder i saw aouja with the babe in the crick of her arm upon a bough which swayed and sank beneath her i clutched at his ankle he reached back with a hiss of his breath and jabbed his knife down on my left hand cutting across the two middle fingers and pinning me through the small bones to the trunk i tell you sir i scarcely felt it my right went down to my waist and pulled out the chris there he was the man i had caught within the veranda three days before these were the same eyes shining like a cat's back into mine and what i had promised him then i gave him now but it was hamid who killed him for as my chris went into the flank of him above the hip hamid's second shot cut down through his neck his face at the moment rested sideways against the branch and i suppose the bullet passed through to the bough and cost me aouja for as the berberlang fell the bough seemed to rip away from where his cheek had rested and aouja with my child in her arms swung back under my feet and dropped like a stone into the lake i can't tell you sir how long i lay stretched out along that trunk with the berberlang's knife still pinned through my hand i was staring down into the water aouja and my child never rose again but the berberlang came to the surface at once and floated bobbing for a while on the ripple his head thrown back his brown chest shining up at me and the blood spreading on the water around it it was hamid who unpinned me and led me away he had made shift to climb down and while binding up my wounded hand pointed towards the beach it was empty the crowd of berberlangs had disappeared he found the track which aouja had missed and as he led me up and out of the crater i heard him talking talking i suppose he was trying to comfort me he was a good fellow but at the top i turned on him and master i said you have tried to do me much kindness but to-day i have bought my quittance with that i left him standing and walked straight over the brow of the hill i never looked behind me until i reached the spaniard's compound and called out at the gate to be let pass captain marquinas was lying in a hammock in the cool of his veranda when the gatekeeper took me to him he was i think the weariest man i ever happened on so you want to leave the island said he when my tale was out yes yes i believe you i've learnt to believe anything of those devils up yonder but you must wait a fortnight till the relief boat arrives from hola here the story-teller broke off as a rider upon a grey horse came at a foot-pace round the slope of berater below us and passed on without seeing it was the rajah returning solitary from the hunt and his eyes were still fastened ahead of him ah great man england is a weary hole for the likes of you and me it's here they talk of the east but we have loved it and hated it and known it and remember our eyes have seen our eyes have seen he stood up pulled himself together with a kind of shiver 
and suddenly shambled away across the slope having said no good-bye but leaving me there at gaze end of section four